Well, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. Happy Memorial Weekend. So we're glad that you're here. Not everybody's at the beach, huh? Come on. That's the blessing of pastoring in Florida, you know. If it's raining, ah, you know, what are we going to do? If it's sun shining, we're going to the beach. I was driving here to church and from where I live. It was boat after boat after boat after boat. And, uh, and I bless them, have a good time, have fun. But I just thought one guy had gotten pulled speeding. In my area, you don't speed. And so I thought to myself, that kind of ruined his fishing trip uh, wherever he was going. And uh, I thought, well, it's a bad thought, because I actually got pulled one time coming to church uh, in that same area. So I had mercy on him, but the thought was, I wonder if he'd rather gone to church this morning than to get that ticket. But that's wrong thinking, because I got a ticket coming to church, and what's your hurry, sir? I'm trying to get to church, and I don't want to be late. It's not that big of a deal. It is when you're the pastor. And so well, now not only are you going to be late, you're going to have a ticket. So anyway. Welcome. Welcome online. Glad that you're uh, watching, uh, joining with us. We have a lot, of, a lot of key people that are part of the church that uh, all over the country, literally, Texas and Tennessee and, and Florida and uh, uh, South Carolina, and we have a lot of people watching. This is home for them, and so we, uh, we thank you for being with us, and we're grateful. A couple things coming up this week, family fun night. It's not a movie. It's fun games, activities, you have to have a child. So rent a child, borrow a child, get a grandchild, and you can come. So, but without a child, you can't come. So it's a family fun night. So bring a ch child and come on and have fun. There's some information program. We were scheduling a baptism for next week. We're going to put that off for an, a month until the beginning of July. And then Dad Fest is coming up, dads and friends. And, you know, we're going to have a big car show out there and steak and eggs. Ladies have tofu. And because, uh, you know, you had that English muffin when we got, I mean, come on, we just had eggs and bacon. And so, but we're going to have a big day uh, here. Be a great time to start working towards inviting some dads, you know, could use some encouragement and a blessing. And so I, I hope that you'll keep that on your radar. All right, Philippians chapter one. We're kind of talking. We're talking about choosing joy, and and it's it, joy is an attitude. It, it's not it's not a feeling or an emotion. It brings those. It's a choice. And if you're not happy, it's because you're choosing to not be happy. Now that may oversimplify life and things, but Paul, out of anybody. If he had a reason to be sad or down or discouraged by circumstances of life, he did. I mean, he's, he's arrested and in prison, chained to a Roman guard, under house arrest, for nothing he's done but to tell people that God loves them. And so it's not fair. Uh, it's not uh, the way life ought to be. It's the way life is. And we live in a world that challenges us to have joy. I mean, if you... Uh, our grandparents didn't have cell phones. Our grandparents didn't have 24-hour uh, news. When I grew up, there was a 5.30 local news and 6 o'clock national news. That's all you had. That's all you needed. That was depressing enough. I mean, I was watching the Vietnam War every night where they would list all of the casualties every night that we'd go through. And I grew up with that. It, it, it shaped me uh, and, 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 and not... Good. And nowadays, you have a 24-hour news cycle. 
And it's just, it's a business. It's, it's, it, it, it literally absorbs every, I was talking to someone on the phone and they were in, enmeshed in the whole shooting. And, and I said, you know, you got to take a break. You can't just do, you can't just absorb that. We're not meant to be able to handle that much stress, overload. And, and again, so there's a balance between not caring and over caring. So I want to talk to you about kind of how to have a perspective of evil from, the, from God's redemption. That God doesn't want to just resist evil. I'm happy for God to resist evil. I'm happy for God to fight against evil. I'm happy for God to beat evil. But I have a hard time conceiving God overturning evil. That he, he can, he's big enough and he's powerful enough that he takes the enemy's best shot, as the old rock and roll song would say, hit me with your best shot, and then the Lord will turn around and he'll bring something amazing out of it. Now, Paul has this philosophy uh, of life. He has this vision of God that he's that big. So I want to pick up his story. Remember, he's writing to these people that are worried about him. He's writing to these people that care about him. Uh, these people support him. These people found their life in Christ, the beginning of the church, 10 years earlier. They know he's in prison. They've sent a representative that got sick and almost died with a gift. And so they're sending back good news. Paul's writing this, and, and he's, he's, he, he could very easily got them to feel sorry for him, uh, but it, just the opposite. And you'll see what I mean as we go through uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, now, now I want you to know brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul says, wait a minute, let me give you a different perspective. I'm happy here. It's one of my uh, uh, commentators I love to read. He said, he said, just a little bit almost sarcastic, does this guy sing in every prison that he's in? And he, he, you remember, he, he sang in prison in Philippi before he helped establish the church. This is a guy that sings in the middle of the storm. Anybody can praise God, not that everybody does, when the storm is passed and you're okay. That, that's a, it's, it's good to be grateful but, but it's a different level of faith to thank God in the middle of the storm and to believe that God has bigger things than what the evil is doing. See, if we let evil dictate to us, it'll hold us captive to not being able to have joy. And that's what evil loves to do. It loves to steal your joy. It loves to blackmail you and say, how can you be happy? Now, Paul's in prison, and how could you... Because he has a different perspective. He has a perspective that, yes, I'm limited. I'm not denying the facts. I don't like the way they are. But God's not limited to my limitations. God's not bound by the things that bind me. God is bigger than what they meant to do as evil in him. In fact, it reminds me of what many people refer to as the Joseph principle or promise. Many of you know the story of Joseph, and he was a, just a beat-up guy, and, and life was unfair, and he was thrown in the pit, and thrown in the prison, and falsely accused, and, and he never got bitter. He, he, he worked through his issues with his brothers that tried to kill him. Uh, he didn't become a victim, 
of his circumstances. And at the, end of, uh, at the end of Genesis, if you're looking in your Bible on your electronic device, but the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, very famous verse. It's kind of the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. If you're familiar with Romans 8.28, the, the Apostle Paul says, For we know that all things work together for the good to those that are called according to, to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And there's this working to good. doesn't mean all things are good. And when you call evil good, you're in a, a wrong ballpark, okay? But, but when you say God's bigger than evil. Now, you've got to be careful when you apply these truths. For example, if I was pastoring in the little town in Texas right now, I would not be preaching this message. It's inappropriate. It's not the right time to remind people in grief that God is going to bring good things out of it. That's, there's a place for that, but this is a time to weep with those who weep, cry with those who cry. So be careful with your faith that you don't beat people up in the middle of their trial. You want to bring hope. You want to wrap your arms around them. You want to show them you care, but you don't want to, you don't want to out, you know, make them feel like they're not supposed to have any tears or pain or grief. And Paul felt it. And if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he was almost suicidal. He was so deep in despair. And even Paul felt overwhelmed with life and, 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 and pain. And, and so it's not, we're, we're humans. And people are great. You lose a, I can't imagine the pain that mothers and grandmothers and, and people are, it's unimaginable. But at the same time, if I can step back from it, which they can't right now, but the church will rise in the midst of the ashes, my faith is that, that God will take the worst thing the enemy could have meant for that community, and God is going to bring redemption. Now, again, comfort first, healing first, but then you begin to build the faith that God's not dead. God is at work the evil one has not, he's had a skirmish that he's won. You say, well, it's a big victory. Well, you could go to Ukraine, and you could deal with the believers. There's per capita probably more, there were probably more Christians there maybe than even here. I don't know exactly, but there were a lot of believers there. And so here you have a country that's under siege with darkness, and it's just, uh, uh, it's, it's horrible. And, it, it's, and if you absorb on those things, you can, you can be blackmailed because you can try to be happy, and all of a sudden the enemy says, well, look at these people. Well, if you move into despair, you can't help people that are in despair. You, you don't heal someone by being sick with them. You can grieve with them, but you can't. Someone has said about parents that uh, they're only as happy as their least happy child. That's sobering. And I know as a parent... Because you love your kids, when they're unhappy, you're unhappy. Because you want, and, and when you have more than one kid, the chances of them all being happy at one time is rare, okay? And somebody's going to hurt somebody. Somebody's going to do something stupid. Somebody's going to get, and it's just, it, it, it's exponential. And the more you care, the harder it is not to let them be the level of your joy. But. It's an unhealthy care when you care for somebody to the point where they control your joy in the Lord. That's a joy stealer. 
that's not, you can't blame that on the other person, whether they mean to or not. If they're unhappy, you can't fix unhappiness. I mean, I've tried it. You try to fix someone that's unhappy, what happens? They're more unhappy. People don't go, oh, yeah, fix me. Fix me. I'm unhappy. No, they have to come to a place in life where they want healing, help, and they want, and one of my nemesis is, as, as a pastor is trying to fix unhappy people. You can't. They're unhappy. They've chosen to be unhappy. They're going to have to choose the path out of the unhappiness. And now when they choose that path, I want to walk with them as they go through it. But Joseph ends his life in restoration with his brothers. And if you don't know the story, it's really worth reading in the last 10 chapters of Genesis. It's a, it's a great story. But this key verse, Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers who had trapped and lied about him and had him sold into slavery. He said, you intended to harm me. He's not, he's not making little of evil. You were dark. You were evil. You, you wanted to destroy my life. But God had another plan. He intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, only a God that's bigger than evil can take evil, and it, when it makes its assault, can take that, and he can flip it and overturn it. And all through the Bible, God is doing this. It doesn't make light of evil. It doesn't make evil good. But God, in such a way, takes what Satan means to destroy, and he brings redemption out of that. Now, that, without that faith, what are your options? All right, Paul's in prison. He's, he's bound. The enemy's won. Let's just give up. Let's be resentful. Let's be uh, bitter. Let's, let's have no faith. And, and evil wins because you didn't get your way. You didn't get life to go the way you wanted it to go. And many people do that. They give up. They have a, a sense, if you're honest today, and, and you were the average Christian in churches, if you ask them, which is stronger today in our world, evil or goodness? And most people would say evil because it gets all the attention and all the news. And, and it, funny, we, we, we want to shake our fists at God in the unfairness of evil, and it is unfair, and it is unjust. When's the last time you've hollered at God, shook your fist in his face, and said, God, why are you so good to me? I don't deserve it. God, you've been so kind. Why, God? Why? I don't deserve an ounce of mercy, but you bless me. And you, it's not fair. Anybody done that lately? People look at you and go, man, you're a little off balance. No, actually, that's a lot truer than when life is hard and we shake our fist at God as a why are bad things happening. Sometimes God's answer would be because you're making stupid choices. Now, that's not all the time. That's not all the time. Sometimes it's other people made bad choices that have hurt you and and, and, and sometimes it's the randomness of, of life and evil, and, and I don't understand it, and I can't explain it. And that's not what Paul's trying to do here. Tr Paul's not trying to answer the mysteries of life. He's just saying, I'm arrested, I'm chained to a Roman soldier, and God's still working. You know, you may have cancer. I was talking to someone in our last service. They've been two years fighting cancer in their family, and it's been a massive, horrible two years. But at the same time, it's been two of the best years of their life. 
They've drawn closer to God. They've grown closer to each other. They're more grateful about their life. They're more thankful about things. And I've noticed that about people. That's what Paul actually talks about in this context. He says, I've got friends that are watching me. That They've found fresh courage by seeing how I'm handling my circumstances. That's not to fake it. It just means Paul had a faith that said, hey, he can suffer like that, still have faith, still have joy. Maybe I can be a little bolder. I have people like that that challenge me all the time as I see them walk through crises. One of the, the challenges of being a pastor and, and a benefit is that you get to watch people walk through the darkest things of their life. And, and you try to put yourself, it's not very smart, but you try to put yourself in their place. And you think, how would I respond? Let me just help you. A lot of the times, not near as good as those people are responding. If you're burying a 19-year-old in a motorcycle accident, I'm thinking of my grandchildren. I'm thinking, how am I going to? How? And I watch people filled with grace, filled with the goodness of God, not that the tragedy is good, but that God and his goodness is still present, that there's still a sense of faith and hope. And so Paul had a faith that God's bigger than my limitations. God's bigger than my weaknesses. God's bigger than what the evil one is trying to do in my life. And so many times we're more focused on what evil's doing, which is news, than what God's doing. You don't hear reports on news of good things happening. You don't see, in church today, several people came to Christ, and we saw the power of the gospel transforming lives. We want to report that there's people. No, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't want to talk about uh, things that don't. There's murders happening in our cities that if you put, took a month, you'd have more kids killed than were killed in that. And that doesn't make anything right, but they don't talk about it because people, it doesn't sell. It's not dramatic enough. It's just, and so now we'll spend our time of, again, let justice run its course. I'm not defending or, or arguing. It does, my point here today is for us that are, that are not in the heartbeat of that tragedy, that if we're sucked into and blackmailed by, you can't be happy because they're suffering. You're not going to help those people with that heart. And the same is true if you have an unhappy child, and your child's unhappy. If you join them in their misery, then the enemy is double one. Or if you have somebody else in your life that you care about, that they're unhappy and they're making horrible choices. You going and making horrible choices or you being unhappy just makes insanity the cycle of your life. No, Paul says, I'm going to put my eyes on a God like Joseph did, that no matter what they mean, God's got a bigger plan. I don't always know it. I don't always like it. It may not make sense now. It'll take another world to sort out everything to make evil fully overcome and turned upside down. Redemption, it'll take another world. You're not bringing those babies back. But there's something in the ashes that happens with the, the, the goodness of God. And the pile of ashes, things rise up and life springs up. You watch what happens in that town. God is going to, yeah, the enemy made a mark. But there's going to make a mark. The churches will rally. The believers will come. They'll weep with people. And it's just the goodness of God that you have that confidence. So Paul says, hey, don't feel sorry for me. God's doing stuff. He just has a different plan. Not the way I thought. But now I've got Roman soldiers handcuffed to me. And they're getting the gospel every day. Because people come in and hear me. And, and so he brags about it in verse 15. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 14. 
Because of my chains, many of my brothers, uh, no, it's 13. He talks about the royal guard and that everyone else that had come in and saw that he was locked up to Jesus, not them. He had a, a God that was in control. Now, to add pain to his pain, there's these preachers out there that are preaching to cause trouble, not because they really believe the message. And so Paul responds to that in, in verse 15. He said, there's some that preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones with bad motives, preach Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can, but they want to stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So what's Paul going to do? What do you do when people are in opposition against you? What do you do when, when the, there's people doing things that, that drive you crazy? It drives... I have some guy that sits out here at the flea market that drives me crazy. And God's like, why? He screams at people in the name of Jesus and, and, and debates and argues. And to me, he's a terrible representation of Jesus. And I get all bent out of shape. I called his pastor. I said, buddy, let him go stand on your street corner and let him scream at people because people think he's part of our church. And that's not, if he was part of our church, I'd take his pants down and spank him right there on the spot. It's like, buddy, that doesn't represent Jesus. That doesn't represent the kingdom. But you know what Paul would say? This is what Paul says. He says, and and, and these people, he said, verse 18, what's it matter? Now, let me help you here. Paul said, I'm not going to spend an ounce of energy trying to fix people that don't want fixing. I'm not going to worry about them. Not my problem. Can you, some of you, could step back today and be relieved of duty you're no longer the fixer for everyone. You're not the fixer of the family. You're not the fixer of your partner. You're not the fixer of anybody. You can't fix you. If you could, you wouldn't need Jesus. We need Jesus because I can't fix me. The, the gospel isn't good advice for self-help improvement. It's a gospel of good news that God can transform a a, a, a heart like mine, and, and, and that's the only way. And so be relieved. What's robbing your joy today? Is it because you're letting somebody else's misery and unhappiness hold you captive? In fact, some of you that went through our series, uh, uh, many of you didn't like it, uh, and that's okay. I liked it, uh, but we did a series on the book, little book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and so it was fantastic. But I know some of you, you had to read something, and that was hard. And it's not an easy read. That was harder. And so anyway, but my, my point is this. If you, if you would go to the last chapter of that book, the last couple pages, he unpacks by this, this, this husband that had manipulated his wife all her life by his self-pity and used it to get her to do what? Well, he's now in hell and she's in heaven, and he's now trying to manipulate her. This is all a, 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 uh, a fictitious uh, imagery to try to help us understand human nature. And so he, he says, if you love me, you'll come to hell and be with me. And I think about that. If you love me. I love you so much, I want you in hell with me. That's like the guy with a gun that says, if I can't have her, nobody can. I love her too much. No, you're an idiot. You're self-absorbed. You're a maniac. Shoot yourself, but don't shoot anybody else. I said, Pastor, that's horrible. No, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody else to have these children. I love them too much. You don't love them. You're loving you through them. 
You're a broken mess. And Paul's like, don't let them hold you captive. And that's what in this story, she says, he said, what about pity? And it's like, you know, there is a healthy compassion and pity, but there is a, but, but our joy, and C.S. Lewis brings this out so wonderfully, it, it'll never be held captive. It'll never be blackmailed by the misery makers of evil that want to continue to choose evil. That evil will not choose whether we have joy or not. Evil will not choose whether we can be happy or not. When we're in the kingdom of God, we have a joy that's unshakable. We have a kingdom that's unshakable. We have a, a, have a confidence that, yes, I get it, that there is pain and misery. and so Because they chose that pain and misery, I'm choosing joy. I'm not going to be brought into your hell in the name of somehow some demented form of love. That's not love. It's a manipulation. It's blackmail. It's you can't be happy because I'm not happy. No, really, I can be happy. I'm going to choose to be happy. I'm sorry you're choosing to be miserable. I can't make choices for you. If I could, I would have done it a long time ago. You're choosing to hurt yourself. You're choosing to make bad decisions. You're choosing misery, and there's a result of that. That's misery, and you can't be held. So I'm not going to let darkness, nor the darkness in the world, blackmail me and tell me you can't be happy. Everybody else doesn't have. Jesus went to bed every night with millions of unhealed people, with millions of broken marriages, with millions of criminals, with me. And he went to bed that night, and he rested with me because, Father, it's in your hands. And it's either in his hands or it's not. It's either in his hands or your hands. And in my hands, it's I do a, a horrible job fixing anybody or making anybody happy. But in the hands of Jesus, Paul says, what's it matter? Stop sweating. Stop trying to fix everybody. I'm not going to go fix those preachers. They got bad motives. I can't control that. That's their problem. And they're going to stand before a holy God, and he's pretty good at dealing with stuff like that. But we sweat it. We try to fix politicians. I can't say, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. You can't fix them. They don't want fixing. They think they're good. They just don't know. So there, some of you today could just get a, a, a salvation experience of, I, I don't have to let somebody else's unhappiness make me unhappy. And number two, I don't have to fix anybody. Be relieved. You're fired. You're fired. You're not a fixer. Oh, I can help you. There's a difference between helping people and guiding, and people that are teachable, and there's all kinds of good spiritual gifts about that, but it's trying to get your hands on somebody's life, and make them do something they don't want to do, and try to make them happy. It's like someone telling someone to be at peace that's all upset and angry. You know, hey, just, just relax. That doesn't work. It's like pouring gas on the fire. I've had it happen to me. I've been all upset. I've had staff members come up and say, pastor, you need to chill out. Phew. They'll learn real quick. That's the last thing you'll ever say to me if you're working for me. Jamie, just relax. Just relax. You're all uptight. You know what I say? I, I teach them. I say, here's what you're going to say to me. You're going to walk up and say, Jamie, is there anything I can do to help? And I'll say, yeah, you can fix that, do that. This person didn't show up over here. You could do it. Now you're, you're resolving the problem. You didn't help me relax by telling me to relax. Nobody, hey, peace out, man. No. How about you pick up a shovel and help me work here? That'll help me peace out. Stop telling me to relax and help me find the solution to what I'm doing that I'm tormented. I know I'm not relaxed. I know I'm uptight. 
I'm well aware, and you telling me that, I don't go, wow, yes, that's it. The hills are alive with the sound of, I'm just filled with the joy of the Lord. I'm striving, I'm anxious, like you get. And you can't fix an anxious person by telling them to not be anxious. You can say, what can I help you with? What can, what is it, something, is there something I can pray with you about? Is there something I can do to assist? Is there, is there a way that I can, I can do something to, to just help lift your load in this situation? And there it can be helped. So Paul says, don't worry about it. Wow. Don't worry about someone preaching that's got a horrible attitude. Don't worry about it. Paul says, don't sweat the things that you can't fix and it's not your job to control. Let it go. So I'm in prison, but God's gospel isn't locked up. First of all, do you know you're where you're supposed to be that God wants you? That's the first start. Now, if you got yourself in prison because you've been an idiot, then you have to say, God, forgive me, I've been an idiot. Now redemption works in a different way to work in you. There's a difference between when you do stupid things, you can still have redemption, but it's a different approach than things that have happened to you that you don't have control over that you want God to step in and bring redemption. And then Paul says this finally. I love, I love the way he, he says, verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Basically to Paul, everything was about Jesus. And he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Now why? How? How can you? You're in jail. you got people stirring up trouble against you. you got all the. How can you continue? How do you have future? How do you have confidence that you're going to be joyful in the future? He says this, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. One of the most, another classic verse in this book. This is a verse to get into your soul. When you're in a tight spot, hard situation in life like Paul was in, and he chose joy, and he had a confidence in that joy based on two things. He had a confidence based on prayer. So in other words, Paul knew these people were praying for him. Do you know that if you have a friend and they don't pray for you, they're not much of a friend. And if you're a friend and you don't pray for your friends, you're not much of a friend. I'm grateful for this church. My wife and I have learned. We've traveled all over the world, and, and we've, we've been in some tight spots, and we've always had a team of people that we could send in a moment's notice, a note out, and we had a confidence that they're, they're going to pray for us. And, and we provide that prayer at, at the cross, and not everybody takes advantage of it. Now, people, they bottle up their own pain and their own sorrow. They try to, Paul says, listen, I'm not too big of a man to say I need prayer. He's an apostle. He's a God that wrote half the New Testament, yet he's a guy that is aware that I need, I need, I'm human. I need prayer. He's not just God's going to get me out of this. God's going to get me out of it through prayer. God's going to get me out of it through the presence of the Holy Spirit and answer. So who starts the prayers? The Holy Spirit. And who answers the prayers? The Holy Spirit. And it's this beautiful cycle of deliverance that Paul says it's a mystery. I can't figure it out how these prayers of people that are hundreds and hundreds of miles away are going to affect his circumstances where he's at right there. That your prayers for people that you don't know in Texas can make a difference. There's a difference between anxiety, despair, there's a difference between that and the spirit of intercession. Intercession has got faith as its basis. It's spirit-inspired. It's, a, it's, a, it's stretching out 
a, 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 a confidence in God and the name of Jesus over a situation. That they may not have faith on their own right now. They may not have strength, but it's that, it's that unlimited reach of faith that can cry out to God and then watch His Spirit behind the scenes, unknown, like the wind, start moving, start reaching, raising up people, start moving in hearts. That's what, what brings confidence to Paul. I'm going to have joy because I want to get out of there. How are you going to get out of it? Even the worst case, he'll go on. We'll talk about it more next week. Even if I die, I win. So it's not all about if everything's going to be fixed here. It's just everything's going to be fixed. Everything's going to be healed. Everything's going to be restored. Now, some of it's going to start here, but a lot of it will be when Christ returns at his second coming and he brings the fulfillment of the kingdom in completion. So in this, in this message, is, is have, do you have confidence that God is resisting evil? Then, okay, that's one level. Do you have some confidence that God is fighting evil and that he's going to win? Okay, that's another level. Do you have a confidence that God's not only going to fight evil, but he's going to overrule it? He's going to overturn it. That what the enemy meant for evil, God had already long before the shooting in Texas, long before the cancer diagnosis in your life, long before the unfaithfulness of your spouse, long before any attack of, on your family, long before the enemy instituted his plan, God had a plan of redemption. Now, you can miss that plan. You can miss the redemption by believing the enemy's lies, by not accepting the confidence that God's bigger than what you're going through. Or Joseph could have missed his redemption if he'd have been bitter at his brothers. Bitterness robs us of redemption. It, it locks God into the past and the pain. You know, it's a little bit like uh, 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 Charlie Brown. You know, like I, we, my wife loves Charlie Brown. We used to do a Christmas show uh, here every year, Charlie Brown Christmas, and she loves Charlie Brown. But, you know, Charlie's always on the, on the wrong side of things, it seemed like. And, and Lucy was like many uh, religious people. She's always giving out two-cent advice or three cents or a nickel, whatever it was. But in this case, uh, uh, Charlie Brown was down again. He, he was focused on the negative. He was discouraged and defeated. And she tries some of her pop psychology, you know, counselor Lucy. And, and she says, you know, Charlie, uh, on, a, on a ship, there's two types of people. There's those that, that, uh, that take their, their lounge chair and they put it at the back of the boat. And they just stare at where the boat's been. And then there's other people that they put their chair at the front of the boat. And they stare at what's coming. And she said, where are you seated, Charlie? And Charlie says, Lucy, I've been having a hard time just getting my chair open. And I think that's where a lot of us are lying in our, our despair is that, yeah, I don't even know. It's not even about picking which direction I ought to be looking at. I haven't even got my chair open. I haven't even got in a place where I have some confidence that God hears my prayers. Others of you have a strong confidence that he hears your prayers. But it, you, you've got to start somewhere. You're not going to, some things in life, God literally designs, whatever the enemy means for evil, God designs it to say, you're not going to get out of this without prayer. Prayer involves humility. It involves dependency on God. I can't think my way out, argue my way out, fight my way out, strive my way out, anger my way out. I'm in a circumstance that the only way I'm going to get out is that 
through prayer and the supply of what I don't have is the Holy Spirit. The supply of the joy, the supply of the strength and the wisdom to get it. Paul says, I'm confident. He had confidence in a God that overturns evil. And he did it, does it, through simple prayers that often feel when you pray, I, I promise you, you're going to feel powerless, ineffective, and what difference did that make? Because the enemy loves to lie, steal, and kill our faith. And, and prayer is not about how powerful you feel. It's not about how loud you shout at God. Prayer, a whispered prayer of mercy and help in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a desperate place is more powerful than any weapon the enemy has to use against us. But it looks like prayer doesn't work. It looks like at times, because often if you get in a bad situation and somebody's miserable and you start praying for them, what often happens? They get more misery. They get more miserable. Well, I started praying and all hell broke loose because you're stirring up the darkness. You're stirring up the enemies. He wants you to back off. He went, so I've had over and over again, people say, well, I've just finally decided to come back to Jesus. I've been reading the word. I've been praying, and all hell has broken out. It was better before I started back. That's because you were already in the arms of darkness. You were already being held captive by his lies. But when you start to break out of them, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a battle. There's a warfare to be fought. And so I just say to you today, Paul says, hey, hey, I'm confident. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice. I get it that there's a lot of pain. God's in charge. I can't fix everybody. I'm not going to live at the level of those that are least happy in my life. I'm going to live at the level of what God's going to choose joy. And because I've got a confidence in a God that answers prayer, a God that sends his Holy Spirit, a God that works redemption or salvation, as he calls it here, deliverance. Whether it's temporal or eternal, it's our confidence is in who God is in our lives. And, and, and stop putting confidence, down payments, and almost praise to darkness. Stop it. If you're a Christian, stop it. If you talk more about darkness than you do the light, stop it. If you talk more about what the enemy's doing than what God's I challenged a group of guys one time at breakfast. They're all on this internet thing, and the devil's doing this here, and the devil's doing that here. And there's a, I said, you know, let me just ask you something. Is God doing anything anywhere? They were like, well, 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 we're looking on these sites that are showing where the enemy's put this. I don't care. I'm not going to focus on what the enemy's doing. I want to find what is God doing. Is he alive? Then let's see that. Let's celebrate that. So I'm helping you. I'm going to love on you. Stop talking about how bad things are. We're not denialists. We're not, we're not people with our head in a hole. We're not people that say, you know, we're not poly, oh, it's everything's going to be all right. It's just going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. That's not who we are, but we are people of faith in Jesus. God's at work behind the scenes. God's in control. And if you read as we went through the book of Revelation, he wins. He overcomes. He triumphs. He transforms. He redeems and renews. Gives us a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more sorrow, tears, or death. And so that's, that's ultimate redemption. For now, there can be redemption right now in your heart. Right now. You, the enemy will give you 50 reasons why you can't have joy. But you can say, 
I can choose to choose my own attitude, not by whether the world's going the way I want it to, not by the way everybody I love is happy, but by me choosing that God loves me. And there's a reason to be happy just there. There's a reason to rejoice that he loves me. Let's pray together. You'll never be at that place of confidence and God being able to overturn evil until there's that place of surrender in your life that you can say, Jesus is my Lord. Paul knew he was where he was supposed to be because he was following God. It didn't work out the way he wanted it to, but he knew he was where God wanted him to be. you got to start there. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you let him be the Lord of your life? It's a choice. He, he's not going to take away and make you do something that you're not choosing to do. But if you choose today to say, Jesus, please be Lord of my life, I surrender to you. Just maybe, maybe you've been religious or you've known about God, or you, but you've not had that fully surrendered heart where you know that God's in control of your life. Then you can settle that right now where you're seated or online if you're watching us, to just whisper to Jesus that prayer that, that you're praying because others have been praying for you. And the Holy Spirit's moving you to pray that for your salvation. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Call out the Jesus. And many of you have done that. But who is your joy stealer? Who is it that's the unhappy person that's holding you captive and blackmail? that you can't be happy because they're not happy. Don't let the enemy rob both of you because by you delighting in the Lord, you're going to help whoever that is, if they choose it, to be happy in the Lord. Father, we just pray that you'll come now as we worship and minister to each heart. In Jesus' name, amen.